produced with podcasting gear from Tascam, including the Tascam Mini Studio. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. to another episode of Wookiee Radio. It is the Smugglers 3, Derek, Ken, and myself, Mike. And yes, we are the only, I think we are the only podcast that has a Star Wars main title played on bagpipes in our theme song. <laughs> and that laugh you hear is our guest this week. Um, I met him at Celebration 5 at, after a Dark Horse panel when Dark Horse was doing the Star Wars books. And it was Night Errant was just coming out or about to come out. And I love the concept of we're going to do the comic and a novel at the same time with the same person. And I thought that was brilliant. And that became one of my favorite Dark Dark Horse titles from from the Star Wars license at the time. And that's John Jackson Miller. How are you guys doing? I'm doing all right. Pretty good. So not only do you write Star Wars, you have written for Marvel and had a couple characters appear in the MCU, but you're also currently writing stuff for Star Trek, which this is this is neutral territory, folks. <laughs> we like Star Wars. We like Star Trek. We like Battlestar Galactica. Me personally, I like the older stuff, not newer stuff. Um, sci-fi in general, we love it all. So this is neutral zone. <laughs> It's the Outer Rim Neutral Zone, if it, that exists. Um, what can you tell us about Enterprise War? Okay, uh, the uh, book is called uh, yeah, Star Trek Discovery, uh, The Enterprise War. Uh, and even though it is the fifth novel in sort of the Discovery line, uh, you don't have to have watched any of the Discovery TV series to be able to know what's going on. Uh, because what it is, it is where Captain Pike and Lieutenant Spock and the Enterprise were during the first season of Discovery. Uh, the uh, first season of Discovery is basically the Klingon War. Um, we're about 10 years before when uh, Captain Kirk is taking over the Enterprise and so, you know, we always knew if you watched the show that there had been, you know, battles in the past between the Klingons and the Federation. Well, if you uh, see the Discovery series, the whole first season is this big, you know, this big battle. Uh, but Enterprise is missing. Enterprise is off on assignment. Uh, and they gave me that period, which is actually more than a year in continuity to fill. And uh, so I wrote a story that I, I, I felt was uh, worthy of having that much time in the timeline devoted to it uh, where you know I I have uh, you know Spock and and Pike and the you know the other crew members trapped in a war of their own uh, where the enterprise is uh, at one point a combatant uh, then later it's uh, it's the battleground and then it becomes
comes the prize. Uh, so it's it's uh, something where they've wandered into uh, you know somebody else's war, uh, and uh, I just had a blast with it. Uh, you know, I like being able to uh, to write. Uh, you know, I I, I did about a hundred different Star Wars comics and novels and uh, graphic uh, graphic novel. You know, you know even role playing game things, short stories. About a hundred different projects, if you include all the comic books, uh, and I. I got to write a number of different, you know, fleet actions and space battles and that sort of thing. Um, you know, there's just something, I think, a little bit uh, different about doing a Star Trek one, uh, where it's the case where everybody who has seen the show sort of inherently knows what the armament of the ships is, what the uh, what the shields of the ships, what they what they actually can do, um, and you can play with you know some of the you know, the very you know unique to Star Trek uh, you know concepts that they've got like shields and transporters uh, you know, in combat uh, in a way that uh, you know it's just a different flavor uh, from Star Wars, and uh, you know I I really kind of have fun with uh, with uh, these sorts of scenes uh, in in uh, these books and uh, you know this is actually I think my sixth uh, Star Trek novel uh, and uh, as I say it comes out on the 30th and uh, it'll be both in but uh, it both in uh, trade paperback uh, also ebook and there is a audiobook which is recorded by uh, a great Broadway actor named Robert Petkov I have okay. not heard his his uh, his uh, audiobook yet but i can tell you that when he did the the prey trilogy uh p-r-e-y as in birds of prey uh that i wrote a few years ago uh you know that's that's like a 37 hour uh, 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 experience where he does 150 different characters at least uh and you know i i think that it was just uh an amazing thing and you know i wrote the thing and i'm listening to it and i'm hearing it again for the you know for the first time when i'm listening to that so i'm really looking forward to hearing that that audiobook should also be out the day of the release and uh, people can find links to it on my website uh, uh, or at uh, uh, bitly bit.ly slash enterprise war and that's capital e capital w enterprise war uh, and there are links to where you can find copies of the the book okay now we know um, from different interviews we've had either here or I've had over on mighty Marvel geeks um, with the Star Wars teams having to go through story group and we've heard at celebrations how it Anything that's uh, plotted out has to go through story group and then everything double checked, made sure you're not spoiling something that's potentially coming out in, in a future as a future spoiler or not. Do you have that same scenario with Star Trek as well? Or are they kind of taking that, that Lucasfilm role of uh, in, we're establishing more of a canon? Uh, increasingly, uh, yeah. I mean, it's not as robust as, uh, you know, with, with Lucasfilm, they established, as you say, the story group. Uh, the first uh, product to come out of the story group uh, was the New Dawn novel that I wrote that tied into Rebels. Uh, so that was back in 2014. Um, yeah, Star Trek, it has always been sort of, you know, the assumption that, uh, well, the novels, uh, basically starting about 10, 15 years ago, the novels all decided that they would try to be internally consistent with one another, the, the novelists, uh, and we would all be consistent with the TV show and the movies. 
but you know, certainly there was never an assumption that the TV show or the movies would draw anything from what we did. Uh, now, of course, uh, you know, with uh, with you know CBS All Access and Discovery, uh, we have a, a a cool situation in that one of the stable of uh, authors uh, for uh, Discovery, uh, uh, Kirsten Beyer, she was the uh, author of many of the Star Trek Voyager novels, okay. uh, and so she is who I worked with uh, during uh, the you know the initial you know conception of this book to make sure that what I did both played into what was coming up in Discovery, uh, and then also you know that it it was consistent with uh, with what had gone in the past, and because she had written the novels, uh, you know, she you know, wanted to make sure that uh, that uh, you know I was you know, trying to as best I could to keep the novels uh, you know in in my mind as well. And of course, I do that anyway. I try to make everything uh, connect anyway uh, to the extent that I can. Um, and so you know, since then, uh, we've actually had a couple more people from the uh, the novel writing stable that uh, have gotten added. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, Dayton Ward, who's one of the other novelists, he is he is doing some help coordinating uh, with CBS and and you know John Van Sitters is sort of their Leland Chi, their Pablo Hidalgo at CBS. Uh, he's he's doing some some work helping to coordinate uh, the fiction with uh, Kirsten and uh, and the TV show people, and then uh, also uh, David Mack, who is uh, really sort of the Timothy Zahn of Star Trek in terms of the number of novels that he's done. Um, yeah, he also has been announced that he's a, a consultant and advisor on Lower Decks, which is the animated series which is coming out, uh, as well as another series. So yeah, I think this is really cool. It, it, this is kind of pioneering days. I guess I would say, um, you know, for years and years, as far as Star Trek was concerned, um, you know, if you go and look for, say, the Wikipedia of Star Trek, what you'll find is you'll find two different websites. You'll find Memory Alpha, which is the TV shows and the movie, that's canon. And then you will find Memory Beta, which is everything else. Uh, And increasingly, some of our stuff is crossing back over. Um, You know, characters that appeared first on the TV show that then we created the first names for, for example, or the ranks for, well, that information has now been turning up in the TV show. Uh, so that's that's something where, uh, you know, there is a feedback dynamic that did not exist before. Okay. So in, in many ways, then CBS with Discovery and, and with the new films, they're looking at the Lucasfilm formula to try and keep a consistent canon. I think a lot of people are, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I've worked for a number of different franchises, uh, including Mass Effect uh, and Halo, and they try to do the same thing, uh, you know, uh, to act as much as possible as if, uh, you know, these ancillary, you know, things, uh, you know, are part of the whole, you know, larger storytelling. And that is such a, a change. I mean, you know, you talk about, you, you talk about Space 1999 and some of the old TV shows, uh, and of course, Star Trek back in the day, yep. you know, there was never any pretense at all that anything that happened in these, uh, you know, these comics or novels or anything was official. Uh, and, and you know, tie-ins go all the way back to the Lone Ranger. I mean, so we're going all the way back to radio shows. Right. And it was always considered that these things were, you know, 
just found out there are a way to extend the brand and make a little bit of money. Uh, and, you know, as it turned out, people cared about them. The authors cared about writing good books. The publishers cared about putting out good books, uh, you know, most of them. <laughs> and 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 the fans cared about reading these things. And, you know, it, it's, it's not unusual that you will hear people say, you know, I like the adaptation of this movie better than the movie. Uh, and, and, uh, or, or I like this thing that tied into it just as good as, as the, the film or the source thing itself. Yeah. That's, that's just really good, uh, uh, good feedback to get if you're in our business, because, you know, what we're trying to do is, uh, help you remember, uh, you know, what it was like to see these stories coming out. I, you mentioned Battlestar Galactica at one point I, I did just now did, uh, the, uh, the 40th anniversary comics miniseries for Battlestar Galactica. And that's coming out in a, uh, a collected edition this fall from uh, from Dynamite Comics. And yeah, I, I missed you know, when the original series came out, so I'm looking forward to that trade paperback. Well, I, I am too. Uh, the, the interesting thing about it is I have kind of two groups of people following this, this comic series. I've got the people who saw the TV show the first time, and they're like, wow, you guys are really making an effort to make it feel like the original thing. Uh, and then, of course, I've got all the people who haven't seen it first, you know, first uh, the first first go around uh, that, you know, kind of the funny thing about that book is I'm the only person on the book that was actually born when the series was on. So, so uh, I was actually you know, sort of drafted as like the the editor's assistant in terms of making sure uh, that, you know, when we show a colonial viper, it's a colonial viper from the original series and not from the one in 2003. Okay. Well, then let me ask this to it's a two part question. Um, first part, you're talking with Star Trek. We're, we're now going more canon with those books. Um, when you go to conventions, are you kind of seeing any backlash like we've gotten in Star Wars of, well, the old expanded universe that, that needs to be brought back? Or are people accept more accepting of, okay, this is making it easier to now, like we have now with, with Lucasfilm and Star Wars, this is now making it easier to place these characters, these stories within the yeah. timeline. Well, of course, I went through all of this when, you know, New Dawn came out and, you know, everybody said that they rebooted the canon and in in more, you know, in more specific terms and more actual terms. What came before never was canon because George would change his mind. Uh, and and so what we decided was that everything forward would be and that the older stories, while not necessarily being cast out, uh, we still draw from them. We can still wave a wand over them. If you're Lucasfilm, they can wave the wand over it and say this thing happened. But at the same time, uh, they're not going to be prohibited from doing a good idea in a billion dollar movie right. just because I wrote I wrote something in a comic book that was only seen by 20,000 people. Uh, so so that that's that's kind of what that is. And what I found at the time, and, and I, I actually, I you know, I had some bad moments here and there with it, uh, but I generally you know, did not get a whole lot of, uh, you know, negative flack on it at the time, in part because uh, I, you know, my approach to it is I try to make everything fit anyway to the extent that I can. Uh, and also, um, I, I think the, the people who had an easier time with it 
bit. Uh, I came from the comics business, so uh, I got my start in comics. I think the comics fans, you know, who were mostly, you know, my my readership starting out, comics fans have a lot easier time dealing with this idea of reboots or rethinking things. Uh, you know, Tony Stark originally got his powers during the Vietnam War. Um, you know, the Iron Man armor. That's just not possible anymore. Right. And yeah. we've and we've we've gotten to be sort of very good at this sort of cognitive dissonance of yeah these things all sort of happens and some things exist and some things don't and we'll continue to pull from them as we need them uh but we're not going to do i think you know one of the things that happened with star wars uh you know is they you know everybody tried to put everything into a timeline uh, the problem with the timeline is we were deliberate in not saying, okay, this happened in the third month of the, you know, uh, of the fifth year after Yavin, because we wanted to make sure that you could in, you could tell an infinite number of stories. Uh, you know, Spider-Man has had so many stories told about him when he was in high school and he's and he was in college uh, that he would have been in college for forty years. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah it, it, how many stories can take place in this time period? as many as necessary uh, or as many as we want. And, and so, you know, it, I will say that it kind of helps a franchise like um, like uh, Star Trek that you've got time travel, uh, that you've got the ability to do what they already did with the movies, the 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 most recent batch of movies, which exist in what's known as the Kelvin timeline, the Kelvin universe. They already had this idea of multiple universes. And so we have, for example, this past weekend, uh, the trailer came out for the Picard TV show. And people are all asking, uh, well, how does this impact all of the books that were set you know, in this time frame? Because we continue to do books after Nemesis came out. Uh, and, and and as one of the authors responded on Facebook uh, or on Twitter, you know, guys, we got this. Don't worry about this. Uh, this is the sort of thing where whether it's whether it's something that will we, nobody knows. First of all, I don't know anything about what they're doing. Uh, I'm not I'm not. So there's, there's no official comment here. I can just tell you that they can somebody will figure something out uh and uh, and and uh if there's ever any conflict like that um you know there was already in uh in the discovery novels um a line appeared in the second season of discovery which seemed to make the first discovery novel uh not happen and in my novel i uh figured out a way for both to be correct the the line in the tv show is correct and also the first book happened. So it's a, you know, it's the sort of thing where um, it's always self-repairing. Uh, you know, we, uh, you know, the, the authors, the people behind these things, they want everything to work. The fans want everything to work. We're all sort of united in that. Um, you know, how stories connect really is is a bonus anyway. The the real key should be we're trying to tell good stories. Uh, but to the extent possible, uh, you know, it, it's it's uh, it is it is a, a thing where, uh, you know, it, it's uh, if, if we can do anything in the creation or writing of something uh, to make it a little easier for stories to coexist. Uh, you know, that's a great thing. And, you know, in particular, you know, one of my rules is I try to treat whatever franchise I'm in. In like a national park uh, that I don't I don't I don't I don't bring in a lot of garbage that I'm going to leave around uh, to make trouble for future writers. Nice. 
Yeah. That's actually kind of cool to hear about the Star Trek because um, back in the 90s when I was um, when I was just getting out of high school and just and reading everything I can get a hold of, I read a lot of Star Trek books and read some of the older Star Trek books. And there's places there where they blatantly totally um, like say, say the same thing happened in multiple books in multiple different ways. So they contradict each other all over the place. Yeah. And it was just kind of out there. <laughs> well, that's a that's a consequence of, in part, how the line was structured at the time and also how people approach those kind of stories. Uh, the, the fact that, the fact is, actually, with the Star Trek novels that came out in the early 80s, one of the things that they did is they were coming out with so many Star Trek books every every year. Uh, you know, they used to put numbers on them. So you'll you'll see mm-hmm. it, it like, you know, Star Trek book number 108 or whatever. Uh, and one of the things that they did was that Pocket would approach writers who had pitched them, uh, you know, science fiction stories, uh, novels. And they said, well, we'll buy your novel if you can make it a Star Trek novel. Uh, if you could if you could figure out a way to actually you know, bring in the characters and everything like that. And not only was, you know, there were no expectation really that your book be consistent with all the other books that, that had come before. It was not really feasible to get those books. We had no internet. We had no, you know, nobody was torrenting all the books at once so that you couldn't, you couldn't go and search for the words. There was no, uh, there was no database anywhere. Uh, there was no holocron in Star Wars yet. Um, and, uh, you know, w- w- what sort of happened, you know, where it all came from in the beginning, the whole idea of the expanded universe, that kind of came from the authors themselves reading each other's work and dropping in you know references and and that was fun and uh, you know that that first happened with uh, uh, with Archie Goodwin who uh, you know was doing both the Star Wars comic book for Marvel and the Star Wars comic strip and he ended up uh, you know also doing the comic strip adaptation of Han Solo at Star's End uh, which was the Brian Daly novel so he starts using names from the the Daly novel and so again this sort of stuff happened uh, you know kind of uh, organically and and uh, and it grew organically and then when you have the uh, the role playing game come out in uh, in the mid 1980s uh, you know you have all these source books developed that pull a little bit from all those previous books and then you uh, have those books actually you know Tim Zahn when he was uh, he was starting to write uh, Heir to the Empire they sent him all of the core source books uh, for uh, for uh, for the role playing game. That's how that came about. It was not something where there was any you know, grand uh, scheme or even database for all this stuff back then. Uh, it all came about. Um, now I will say, now that the uh, you know now that we have uh, these wikis, these internet databases, these ways to find things faster, uh, I can say that Enterprise War, for example, uh, not only has characters from Captain Pike's ship back in the 1960. Uh, Uh, 1960s pilot, The Cage, Uh, but it also has characters from a bunch of different other past Star Trek novels spanning way over the years, uh, names that were dropped as engineers or transporter officials or whatever. There's even a character from the Marvel Comics Star Trek Early Voyages series that came out in 1996. Wow. Uh, And again, 
is that stuff official? No, it's not. But you know what? It's fun. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, the, the, the people that uh, the people that read those names and don't know who I'm referring to are going to go right past it. The people yeah. who know they're going to freak out. So, you know, that's 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 uh, that's and that's fun for somebody like me. So I'm interested to know. So you you do you've done books and comics for Star Wars, Star Trek, Mass Effect, um, a lot of so basically a lot of licensed properties. So so what what do you what do you like about doing work doing working with licensed properties and what do you not like about it? Well, one of the things I like is getting paid. Uh, <laughs> so sure. Uh, I came from uh, the world of uh, of journalism before I got into writing comics professionally. So, you know, I was editing. Uh, I, I actually got my my start in sort of the you know the uh, you know the pop cultural side of things uh, as the editor of the trade magazine for the comics industry in the early '90s, and I did that job for about ten years until I got my my first writing assignment at Marvel. Uh, and uh, you know, so I I always kind of had that dynamic that no matter what I was writing. I already had a market for it. I already had a buyer for it. I already had a place to publish it. Uh, I I have uh, I realize that uh, one of the sad deficiencies in my sort of portfolio is that I've written over three million words, and I only own about a hundred thousand of them. I, I I I own one book that I did. I did a serial for uh, for uh, a publisher called Forty Seven North called uh, uh, called Overdraft, uh, and uh, that is. Uh, that's a, a science fiction uh, story, and I created my own universe for it, and uh, that was out for about five years. I've since taken the rights back, so it's not it's not even available online right now. But I'm gonna I'm gonna put it back out somewhere at some point. Uh, but again, this is this is a, a bit of a, a a good thing and a bad thing. The good thing is, you know, you're always uh, able to uh, since since these works are all invitation only. Uh, you know, when when Star Wars or Star Trek or Halo or whoever contacts you to you know write a a book or a short story or a comic you know it's not a guarantee that you'll get to write that book or that comic book but you have a much better chance than if you had simply written a halo story and just you know set it in in fact they're not even legally allowed to look at it uh you know that example i gave to you about star trek years ago um if you had written a star trek novel and sent it to the publisher they probably would not have been able to legally look at it uh because you know the because the way that the uh, the the licensing works uh, that you know they they you know these stories have to originate from them in some way shape or form uh, in cooperation with the authors uh, but you know it it, it the, so so the, the so the good side of writing in tie-in worlds is you have this built-in audience you have this built-in market um, and you know you have this new group of people to do something um, something outside of your your regular you know groups. Uh, the downside, though, is you know I I uh, I had a, a breakfast meeting at San Diego uh, with a a very important person for a, a TV network a few years ago. Uh, obtained you know several of the shows that you've seen on TV today, and he said, "I love your Star Wars stuff. What do you got to sell me?" And I just had to shrug. You know, I've got I don't I don't have anything that I own as a property that's already developed. Uh, and I will. I'll do it. Every Star Trek knocks up. We're not going to say no. Okay. Now, I want to throw a disclaimer in here real quick. Um, John lives in Wisconsin. They had major storms over the weekend, and he just got power back. So where 
when, when that happens, internet acts goofy. So, uh, so we apologize about any audio flubs. Um, um, so you said Enterprise War comes out, or Star Trek Discovery, the Enterprise War comes out Tuesday? Yeah, it comes out Tuesday, October the 30th, uh, and October, scratch that, Tuesday, July the 30th, I don't know what day it is, uh, and, uh, the very next day, we will be doing Star Trek Las Vegas. Uh, it's already already been debuted once at a different convention, but uh, Star Trek Las Vegas is sort of their big Star Wars celebration kind of thing. Uh, and uh, it's the big creation con that's out there uh, in uh, the Rio Hotel, and it goes for five days. Uh, and so I will have that, uh, and we're going to be doing a you know, panel on that as well. So so that comes out and uh, and yeah, looking forward to uh, to uh, see what people think of it. I'm starting to get the very early uh, comments in from the people who got their, got their copies early. Uh, you know, it's always it's always fun. Uh, you know, when somebody finally gets to read something that you spent months and months on. So plenty of copies on hand that you get John's autograph on. So um, yeah. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now we we've talked about because we know um, Benioff and Weiss from Game of Thrones has talked about doing an early timeline uh, Star Wars film. Have they possibly approached you about using any of the material from Knights of the Old Republic? Well, uh, first of all, uh, no. <laughs> Second of all, if I do, I wouldn't be able to say anyway. So it's uh, one of the things about uh, living where I do at the end of a dead end road uh, in central Wisconsin is both that, yes, when the power goes out, it does take five days for them to get to you. Uh, and also, you're pretty far from the uh, water cooler in uh, in Hollywood or Burbank or wherever they decide these things. Uh, so it's it's not something where I have a lot of inside information. Uh, and uh, if I had it, I wouldn't be able to say anyway. Uh, I will say specifically, unless you actually see something announced on StarWars.com, you know, things will erupt on social media where, you know, somebody will talk about a Kenobi movie or a Kenobi TV show or a Kenobi something. Right. And because I wrote a Kenobi novel, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, my, my inner little light will light up. And, uh, again, uh, it's, it's like, well, I'm don't, don't know exactly what I'm supposed to say. Um, uh, a, 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 you know, more, more, but, you know, so would, uh, not being involved with it in the sense that we would still get more Kenobi. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things, uh, you know, I, I would look at something like that as a bonus, you know, really seriously, look at all the Marvel movies that have come out based on comic books that, you know, many of the writers probably haven't even thought of uh, since they wrote them 30, 40, 50 years ago in some cases uh, and to suddenly see these things have a life of their own uh, you know, long after the fact. Uh, that's both really cool and also it's uh, it's surreal. Um, you know, I, I, I know, I know a number of people who you know only created one or two things that, uh, you know, spent 20, 30 years, more or less, you know, not able to really, you know, do any more work after that, or they just didn't do any work after that. 
and then suddenly, you know, they're whatever they worked on is the reference somehow or or something, um, you know, and and suddenly their uh, their lives are different. Uh, they're they you know they're connected to a TV show in some way, shape, or form, or at least their names in it. Um, you know, I I had uh, you know I had a man that came from an Iron Man comic I did 15 years ago, uh, and they flew me and my wife in for the Hollywood premiere, and they they also flew in my artist uh, whose name Star Wars fans is actually Jorge Lucas. Uh, <laughs> it's he's from Argentina, and uh, and when he when when he actually got to uh, Hollywood, and and you know I met him in the theater where we sort of had assigned seats for the premiere. Uh, yeah, I had no idea why they had uh, brought him up for this premiere because he hadn't worked for Marvel in in many years. Uh, and once we got somebody to translate uh, from uh, from English into Spanish, uh, that was that really made his day uh, to realize that uh, you know something that we did yeah 15 years ago something that a story that really hasn't even been reprinted in a trade paperback uh, it's only it's only in uh, it's only available digitally uh, and and uh, you know it, you know, spawned not only the character that's in Ant Man and the Wasp uh, but also the reporter character that's in the first two Iron Man movies uh, that is just uh, kind of surreal. It, it sounds like it. I I mean we've heard uh, I mean we hear the stories with every movie some of these lesser known characters creators are going really <laughs> you brought that one to the to the big screen cool we appreciate it. Um, so what what was it like? then to see uh, one of your characters up on the big screen for the first time? Well, it's, it was, you know, it's, it's uh, but, you know, a little, but not, not a lot. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I remember when that Iron Man movie came out, we saw it the same day that we saw Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, mm-hmm. We saw them back to back. And that was, again, very weird because I had, on the one hand, I had this character that shows up in Iron Man and I was you know wondering how she would appear. But then also, I had written the graphic novel adaptation for Indiana Jones uh, and and uh, and uh, the Crystal Skull, and so you know I'm actually. You know, that second movie, uh, you know, I knew every line as it was coming out of the uh, the actors' mouths, uh, and uh, yeah, I was I was watching for a completely different reason. It was like, well, what scenes are they going to include, and what scenes are they going to cut? Uh, mm-hmm. And that was just a that was a very strange day at the movies. I got to say, <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's not something that happens a lot. And so, yeah, I guess so, some people are probably more used to it than others. I'll say that uh, again with me, it's just been a couple of times. Okay, now. I want to ask because this is probably one of the first books that I knew you from and we touched on it in the beginning uh, during the intro Night Errant oh yeah how did this concept come about of doing the comic and a novel at the same time well there had been situations where they did comics uh, that spun off of the novels or simply you know re- re- retold the novels because you know they did comics versions of Heir to the Empire for example right. uh, at Dark Horse uh, and then they had had uh, Mike Stackpole, uh, who incidentally uh, the Enterprise War is dedicated to, because uh, because Mike was sort of my mentor. Uh, you know, Mike uh, he wrote the X Wing Rogue Squadron novels, but then he also wrote original stories for the comics. Uh, but you know, the the idea of 
doing something where they were both at the same time. Uh, that came about because I had uh, I had uh, been doing uh, the Knights of the Old Republic comic series. Uh, Dark Horse wanted to retire both that series and Legacy uh, after their 50th issues, and they had me come back and uh, develop this Knight Errant series, a uh, comic series. And at the same time, I had been doing the Lost Tribe of the Sith short stories for Del Rey, and they felt that I was ready for a novel. And uh, it was actually Lucasfilm's idea that, uh, hey, why don't you do a novel that uh, is set in the same universe uh, as the comic series? Since the comic book is going to come out first, uh, the first comic book story arc would take place before the novel would. Uh, but uh, but then, you know, the later comics would take place after the novel. Uh, and that's what we did. So, so that was the idea behind that. And then, you know, the whole concept about where it was set, uh, that came from Dark Horse because they were looking to flesh out a different part of the timeline. Uh, they had done um, a book called uh, Jedi, uh, or a, co- a comic book series, miniseries called Jedi, which was set in the years before Darth Bane establishes the rule of two. And so, uh, and it was comfortably set behind it by about 30. Well, well, actually uh, that, that story was right near then. uh, But we said, well, I'll set my story about 30 years before. So uh, I've got some room to spread out. Uh, And what I ended up doing was I I wanted to show a a lone Jedi uh, who was the only, hero basically working an entire part of the galaxy an entire region uh, because it was nothing but Sith lords battling one another for for uh, you know, for who was going to be in charge, and uh, you know the Jedi and the Republic have both abandoned the place uh, and thrown up their hands. We can't, we can't deal with this. This is a mess. Uh, and she has personal ties back there. Uh, she goes back, and uh, in the first graphic novel, which is really the first you know limited series. Uh, you know, she gets trapped in Sith space and decides to stay. Uh, the novel is her first major operation, uh, which ends up going wrong. And, uh, you know, it ends up being sort of an odyssey where she goes to three different Sith Lords realms. Uh, and then the second of the graphic novels, that was uh, where she tries to free her homeworld. And right. then the third of the graphic novels is where she tries to find out what happened to her family. And that, that's uh, and, the only one I'm missing. This, I'm missing the, the last five. Yeah. And uh, and one of the problems we've got with it right now is that the novel is still available. Uh, right. It's in it's currently in print from Del Rey, uh, just like the Lost Tribe of the Sith uh, collected edition is on like its 14th printing. It's still going. But the graphic novel sequel that I did for that uh, called Spiral, uh, that that is from Dark Horse. So is Night Errant. The three Night Errant series are from yeah. Dark Horse. And Marvel has been working their way through the old material, but they kind of need to go through the you know, the material that they started with first. Um, and these books kind of cycle about every year and a half. So uh, I, they did the first third of Knights of the Old Republic yep. uh, in 2015. They did the second third of it in, uh, I guess it was 2017. 
And the third third of it just came out, Volume 3, Star Wars Legends Epic Collection, The Old Republic, is the third chunk yeah. of the Knights of the Old Republic, you know, saga, which is about, it's about 1,280 pages, all told. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so, you know, the, 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 the question is, well, when will they get to this other material? Uh, and get it back in print? Uh, the answer is someday. Uh, I don't know when. I have a guess as to what the pattern would be. Uh, but, you know, that's only a guess based on what else Dark Horse put out. Uh, you know, I would assume that, uh, you know, we would wind up with, uh, you know, uh, Lost Tribe of the Sith uh, showing up in the uh, the Spiral book, right. showing up in the next collection, and then Night Errant showing up the last one, uh, just because of where they are in the timeline. Uh, but that could be, you know, 2021, 20, 2023. 20, Who knows what happens then? So right. I... I uh, but in the meantime, those stories are all available on Marvel.com digitally, yes. and they are all—they're all available on uh, Marvel uh, Unlimited. I—I think I'm not sure. I haven't logged in there to see what's in there lately. But uh, but you know, and of course, uh, you know, you can uh, go on Amazon or go to your local comic shop, and you might look out and find those books. Well, thankfully, I have them all digitally from Dark Horse before they shut them off. I was able to get them all. I just don't have the hard copy. Yeah. Uh, which I've been on occasion. I, I search eBay for either the individual well, issues or or the hard cut or the trade. You should have caught me two years ago because one of the things that happened when Dark Horse lost the license is I approached them and I bought everything they had left uh, uh, of of those four books because I knew Knights of the Old Republic would be out, uh, you know, from Marvel. Uh, but as for the other stuff, uh, you know, I, I do shows and everything, and so I I would I would stock these things, and so for a while there I had. About about 100 copies of everything uh but it's all sold out so yeah. I'm, I'm unfortunate unfortunately you know i have my desk copies and that's about it well i thankfully i was able to get a copy of uh deluge the trade uh yeah. from from your great colorist that you have michael atia oh yeah yeah he's who, wonderful he does amazing work he did almost everything i did at dark horse uh in in sort of that era so he did he, he colored all my star wars books he also colored uh, the uh, the stuff I did for Mass Effect. Yep. Uh, not sure if he colored Halo or not. The most recent things I have out from Dark Horse, you probably haven't stumbled over. Um, I did uh, two graphic novels, original graphic novels for Disney, uh, Disney Disney Comics, uh, as published by Dark Horse. Uh, and I, I, they're original graphic novels based on the live action Dumbo and the live action Lion King. Okay. Uh, so the Lion King book uh, actually I came out uh, just in the last few weeks uh and of course that movie uh just came out this past weekend uh but uh but again in both of those cases uh it was a similar kind of a licensing thing where i worked with the people that were working with the film studio to make sure that what i wrote um yeah can you believe it the dumbo graphic novel fits perfectly into the movie's continuity uh, it's it's <laughs> uh, it's got it's got five short stories in it and i had to figure out how they all fit in between different scenes of the movie but you know, that's that's the kind of thing they pay me for. So uh, <laughs> and I don't know whether anybody will care, but I care. And uh, so that's that's what I did. And again, The Lion King, that book was just pure fun uh, because it, it was like doing one of the Disney comics that I used to read when I was a kid. Okay. Hmm. Of all the stuff you've worked on, Star Trek, Halo, Battlestar, Mass Effect, Star Wars, favorite book or uh, I guess we'll do the, the trifecta, favorite book, favorite character. 
character and favorite license? <laughs> well, that's going to get me in trouble. Uh, <laughs> no, it, I, I'll tell you, every every different license, uh, it's like asking somebody to pick between football, baseball, and basketball, you know? It, it, it's, it's they, they each one appeals to a different you know, sense or, or, you know, choosing between, you know, chicken or beef. I mean, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's something where, uh, you know, everything has a slightly different taste. Uh, and, and, you know, if I want to write, if I want to write something more science fictiony, well, that's going to play better in Star Trek than in Star Wars, where we, we, we don't really get into how things work. We don't get into the physics. So, uh, you know, as, as for, as for favorite franchise, I'll, I'll say, you know, I'll, I'll defer on that one. Uh, because, Again, it's just a, a matter of uh, you know, it, it's it's uh, it, it, each one sort of uh, you know scratches a different itch uh, in terms of uh, being both a fan uh, and and being both a writer. Uh, you know, as for as for favorite book, uh, you know, I I think that you know I I've got several in each franchise, but yeah, you know, certainly among the comics that I've done, I am best identified for Knights of the Old Republic simply because it went on for so long. Uh, you know, almost six years in terms of you know from the first issue to the very last, uh, and also because uh, you know it does it did generate a lot of characters that you know were popular with people, and that people still cosplay as, uh, and that there are action figures for some of them even, uh, and that's that's sort of really cool, you know. Uh, you know, as, as for as for novels, um, you know, I think I'm probably going to be best regarded, or, or the, probably, probably the novel that I'm I'm most known for. Uh, in Star Wars is going to be Kenobi. Uh, and again, I'm very fond about that one uh, because, uh, fond of that one because in part, it took so long to get into print. Uh, I came up with the concept of uh, Star Wars Kenobi um, seven years before the novel came out. I actually stopped a work on it in order to do the Indiana Jones graphic novel and, and put it on the shelf. So that's how long ago that was. That was seven years before the, wow. uh, the movie came out. Uh, before the before the book came out, um, so you know that's something where that book was so different than anything that I think had come out before, and that people were expecting. Um, you know, I had pitched it as the Ben Kenobi Western. That was literally the line, the subject line of the pitch, uh, and we went for it in terms of there are no space battles, there are no lightsaber fights, there is no Sith Lord running around. Um, you know, we decided that we were just going to be, uh, you know, make this thing as much like a, a, a Western, make this thing as much like, you know, the, 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 uh, the mysterious stranger who wanders into town, the guy with a past, uh, and, uh, and, you know, uh, people ended up digging it and, uh, it was embraced and, uh, it's, it's still selling. And that, that's, that's a good feeling. Um, you know, among, uh, uh, you know, the Star Trek books, uh, the, I, I really like the one I just did, obviously, uh, I, I have to say the trilogy I did for Star Trek, which is called Prey, uh, is that one is something where I will always be fond of that one because it is bigger than anything I had ever tried to do before. 
before uh, in prose uh, because it's three novels that came out monthly uh, and so I had to go away and write them all at once oh, wow. and and because they came out monthly during the 50th anniversary in 2016 I had all three of the books on my desk at the same time when I was doing my own proofreading my own copy edits my own continuity work so it that book is uh, I call it a book because it's really one it's one one book to me it's a third of a million words broken into three volumes and you know it's just tight there's no there's nothing in there uh, you know you'll you'll get a trilogy and they'll they'll come out every year or something and you know there'll be things that happen in the third book that clearly the author didn't know about when he was doing the first book uh, because it came along later nothing like that happens uh, because because I had all three books on my table at once uh, you know I'm able to foreshadow uh, you know things that happen you know 275,000 words later so uh, so again I'm, I'm I'm really fond of that uh, a lot of the short stories I've done um, you know some are some are our favorites um, the most recent Star Wars uh, prose work I've got uh, is in a book that uh, yeah, is associated with episode eight. It was called Canto Bite. Uh, and this was th- four novellas that were set in the casino. And, you know, these were stories that don't really have much impact at all on, you know, the movie or the timeline or anything. But they they basically, you know, came to me and said, hey, hey, we want you to write about one night in a casino. What can you do? And I said, well, I can try to make all the years that I spent in casinos, all the money I lost, I could try to make that into research. I could try to make that uh, try to make those losses tax deductible in some way, shape, or form. And so, and so that story, which is about a card counter uh, who uh, you see on screen in uh, episode eight, he encounters these three little green guys who you also see on screen. Uh, you know, one of them is is played uh, by the actor that plays Wicket, uh, and and uh, it, and and so yeah yeah you have uh, you have these characters that are there and and these guys get in his way and really mess up his system and i had a ball with that because again it was just uh, you know it's it's really a story about las vegas but it's set in star wars and it uses star wars concepts and characters in it and it, and it works into it and so i had a ball with that that's one where the audiobook, uh, which is by Jonathan Davis, is just astounding because uh, the, the, they have the they have the sound effects, they have the music, and he does these great cartoon voices for everybody. It's just great. Um, and you know, I, I would say another one of my favorite short stories, and this is to be the last one I'll mention, uh, is is in one of the franchises we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, we did a book uh, for Planet of the Apes, uh, where it ties in with the original five movies, uh, where there. They're all short stories that tie in with the original five movies. Uh, it, it It's called uh, Tales from the Forbidden Zone. Uh, it was an anthology that came out a couple of years ago from Titan Publishing. Uh, and uh, my story is uh, basically a Hollywood story that involves the apes uh, that takes place during my favorite of the apes movies, which is the, the movie where uh, the two apes, Cornelius and Zira, go back to 1973. Uh, and that's, that's, the, that's the movie Escape from Planet of the Apes. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was something where I had so much fun with that. Uh, and it was a coin toss for me whether I submitted that one 
or the the story from Canto Bite uh, to the uh, to the to the uh, Scribe Awards for best short story that year. Uh, and uh, and I went with the Planet of the Apes one, and that one uh, that one was nominated. Uh, it uh, it it came in uh, behind one of the other uh, stories in that book. <laughs> but 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 again, you know, if you really enjoy something and you've got a good story and you really enjoy it, odds are the readers are going to really enjoy it, and you're going to have you're going to have something that is going to be infectious uh, and it's going to be worth something later on. You know, people can tell when either you're not really into the franchise or, um, you know, you're doing it for the money. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with doing it for the money because we all do it for the money. That's that's what, you know, this is a job. This is not something anybody's doing for fun. This is, you know, this is the difference between fan fiction and what we're doing is we have contracts, we get paid uh, and we have deadlines and we get fired if we don't hit them. Um, uh, but but, you know, the the uh, the thing is, the fans can kind of tell if you don't have an enthusiasm for the work, uh, the underlying franchise, the underlying thing. Uh, or an enthusiasm for the story that you're telling. And so you know, as time has gone on, uh, I think I'm, I'm trying to get a little bit more selective with what I do. And I actually have, over the last few years, turned down some projects that in other hands have come out uh, and have been really good uh, because they had an enthusiasm for what the thing was going to be that I didn't share uh, or I didn't think that I could match. So uh, again, you know, I, I enjoy playing in these other sandboxes and I try to keep my passport you know stamped so that I can I can. Keep Keep uh, keep doing things. My, my my next Star Wars project that's coming out uh, is actually a reprint of the Star Wars Kids comic I did in 2018 for IDW, uh, and that comes out in a graphic novel called Star Wars Adventures: Pomp and Circumstance. Uh, is the title they gave it. Uh, that is, I think that comes out in October or November. Uh, but again, that's yet another way that I got into you know, you know, doing something for the license. Um, and that was the first kids comic I had ever done for Star Wars, and uh, you know. It's 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 nice to have a franchise that has so many moving parts <laughs> that you know you can you can you know c- go go to some different part of it and continue to you know sort of keep uh, keep your hand in. Cool. Well, I want to um, read go back to something we you mentioned towards the beginning, um, and you had mentioned how, with New Dawn, were you actually a part of the decision to restart the um, canon, as it were? Oh no, no, I'm a, okay. I'm I didn't a, know if that was or not. No, but, I'm, 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 a, I'm a I'm a freelancer. That is way beyond yeah. my pay grade. Uh, <laughs> okay. and, in, and in fact, uh, and this is no secret because I talked about it at the time, I was two thirds of the way through the book uh, and they said, okay, we need you to fly out to Hollywood, or not to Hollywood, we need you to fly out to San Francisco uh, and appear in a video about uh, what we're doing uh, with Timothy Zahn. And actually, they didn't even tell me about Timothy until you know he, he was in the car that picked me up uh, <laughs> from the airport. And then I managed to get him lost on the way to Lucasfilm, even though I had <laughs> Theoretically, been there before. I, I, you know, it's it's one of the buildings there that's got Yoda in front of it. I just all the buildings look alike. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean it, that is something where uh, you know once once I knew that that's what we were doing, we just changed a couple of things. Uh, you know, we changed the name, so it was you know a new dawn. That sounds like it's a beginning. Uh, and then also, I just went back through and tried 
tried to make sure that it kind of felt like an introduction. Um, and uh, and yeah, I kind of do that anyway. Every book you write is uh, somebody's first novel or comic book uh, in whatever franchise it is. So I didn't have a lot of work to do there. Uh, and uh, and I guess if there was another thing that we did, it was that we uh, you know we tried at least in that beginning phase to purge the universe of a few things that that uh, you know we tried to get rid of a couple of words that were uh, you know not not easy for the for the uh, new reader to understand. So uh, in my book, we got rid of the word refresher and we we, we just used the word bathroom. Um, although since then, I think somebody's brought refresher back. <laughs> I tried to get I tried to get rid of turbo lift because a turbo lift is really nicked from Star Trek. Um, mm-hmm. That was that was something that came from uh, it first appeared in a Brian Daly novel, but it came from Star Trek, uh, which had it first. And of course, a turbo lift is a very different thing from an elevator. It actually goes all directions. Um, and uh, and so I I tried to I tried to get us to go with elevator. I, I think turbo lift snuck back into. Uh, but but uh, but yeah, I mean, there's you had that opportunity there at that beginning to sort of say, well, what do we want to tweak? What do we want to what do we want to do? One of the things that I did in that book was um, I I throttled back on the names of species. Uh, we used to name drop species like crazy. Um, instead, what I would do is I would say that somebody was green and had a snout. I wouldn't say the word Rodian because the only people who know the word Rodian are people who already read Star Wars books because the word has never, or at least had then, had never appeared uh, in a Star Wars movie or a Star Wars TV show. Uh, it might have appeared in a TV show. I'm not sure. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, I mean, there were multi. I always try to do these deep dives into the continuity, pulling this character or that character or whatever. Um, you and I still did that. But now, when you see that there's a character in there that has red skin and uh, you know is is very appealing, you know the the people who have been reading for years will look at that and say, okay, that's a Zeltron. But the people who haven't been reading for years don't need to know that that's a Zeltron uh, because if you mention Zeltron, they'll go, what's a Zeltron? And then we have to go into multiple pages or paragraphs of what Zeltrons are, and we just don't want to do that when we're just trying to populate a universe with you know diverse characters and things. So so. Anyway, yeah, I mean, we try to soften and change our approach a little bit going into that to make it so it felt a little less like, uh, you know, everything was, you know, you're showing up in the middle of a story. Uh, you, you want to make it so it's it's as user-friendly to the new reader as possible. So would that apply for everything, like ships and everything, or like like if you were going to use an X-Wing or... Yeah, I mean, you would you would you would probably you would probably name something like that. But uh, you know, I, I I tried to not do a whole lot of what they call info dumps, where uh, you know Tom Clancy uh, and I love Tom Clancy's work. But what he would do is he would stop everything and talk to you about a ship for about thirty, you know, for 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 about three or four paragraphs. He would yeah. talk to you about a specific thing for a while, uh, and there's a place for that, but not in the middle of an action scene. And so. You know, mm-hmm. if just plain fighter is enough, that'll usually do it. Uh, but if it's relevant that this is a squadron of X-Wings, uh, well, I mean, and this isn't something which is, is really so much, you know, related to Star Wars or whatever. It's just good practice no matter what you're doing. Um, you know, I, I if I'm going to talk about a specific class 
of uh, you know, if, I, if I'm going to talk about if I'm going to talk about Constitution class starships, I'm going to say at some point, well, this refers to something like the Enterprise looks now, and it's this big you know big disc with the the two nacelles in the back. Well, we kind of we kind of expect you know what the Enterprise looks like because it's on the cover, <laughs> but sure. but you know you, you really you you you, you kind of don't want a story to feel like homework. You you don't want it to feel like all right, well now we're going to drop everything and tell you the history of this region. Um, world building is great, uh, but Star Wars, the world is already there. Uh, and, uh, you know, we can add to it, but the main thing we're adding is characters involved in a story. Okay. That actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Thanks. Now, you do both Star Trek, Star Wars, and regular conventions. I've never been to a Star Trek convention. It was on my bucket list to do with my dad before my dad passed away. Uh-huh. Um, what, with, with someone who's been a veteran of both, what's the real difference between a Star Trek convention and a S- Star Wars celebration? Um, I have yet to actually do my first, you know, big, you know, Star Trek, Star Trek Las Vegas is my first giant creation con, uh, for Trek. So I will see how different it is. Um, you know, the, this, the convention I just came from shore leave, uh, is it's really a, a, it's got more literary roots. Uh, it, it's been around for 40 years. So, um, it's, it's got, um, a lot more people who are involved with, you know, the, uh, they're Star Trek fans, but they are also more read into the, the fiction, uh, than probably the random Star Trek fan would be, or the random Star Wars fan would be, uh, because they, they've been collecting the books for years and years. Uh, you know, there's an age difference. Um, certainly when George Lucas came along with the prequels and sort of reintroduced the movies to a new generation. Uh, and of course now with the third generation, uh, getting into the sequel movies, um, you know, I certainly, you know, star Wars skews younger. Uh, but, uh, you know, you still will see people of all ages at either, at either convention. Um, and, uh, you know, it's one of the things that you're a little more likely to see at a star Trek convention, uh, is, uh, you know, you you've got, uh, well, certainly, uh, there, there are a lot more, uh, actors, uh, from the various shows available to appear, uh, because, you know, with Star Wars, you're looking at, uh, you know, eight, nine, ten movies, uh, live action, uh, plus I guess the Ewoks movies. Uh, and, and so you're looking at, uh, you know, 20 hours worth of, uh, of film, uh, to draw from Star Trek. I can't even remember the number, but you know, you're, you're up around 400 or 500 hours. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what the number is, but it's a lot. Uh, and so there's a there's a lot of different you know stars and guest stars to appear, and you know you'll see names that will be appearing at the convention, and you'll be going, uh, uh, okay, wow, I forgot that person was in that episode of that years and years and years ago. So, um, but it's all still current because it's all still on TV. Uh, and it's all it's all now streaming too. So uh, and people are kind of rediscovering this stuff. Uh, you know, one of the interesting dynamics that I'm finding uh, for the new fans uh, is that uh, 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 you know the way I grew up, and I assume the way you guys grew up watching TV shows, you watched the episodes as they aired. But if you saw them in syndication, you probably saw episodes here and there. You probably didn't see every single episode in order. Whereas if you talk 
to a kid today who wants to start watching Star Trek The Next Generation, they will start right in on season one, episode one. And we have to wave our hands and go, oh, no, 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 wait. The good stuff is later. Uh, and and you, know, you want to skip ahead to this episode and this episode and this episode. And they go, wait, we don't watch anything else like that. We watch everything else in order because otherwise, you know, the serialized stuff will get screwed up. And you have to say, well, you know, there was light serialization in these shows, but you know, the original the original Star Trek, you know, they designed the shows in that era to be shown in random order uh, when they would appear on TV in syndication. Uh, it was why there were never finales of TV shows. It was why the the Fugitive, when it had a finale, that was revolutionary, uh, and why the syndicators refused to show that episode uh, when it would rerun because their whole thing was, well, no, we want people to come home and watch this show every day, and the last thing we want to do is have them know that the story ended. Uh, and and so, but yeah, uh, you know, now the new readers that are coming in, the new the new uh, the new viewers that are coming in, uh, you know, you you want to say to them, uh, okay, here's a good episode to start with, and they say it's in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's like no, seriously, this is what you want to do, and and here's a season you could skip entirely of this show, and uh, and you know they it's 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 uh, it's just a new world. Okay. Well, got another maybe uh, a biased question. Favorite franchise out of Star Trek and favorite or or favorite film or series, and the same with Star Wars. Okay, uh, Star Trek. This actually, I can, I can, I can do without getting in trouble. <laughs> uh, yeah, favorite, uh, favorite uh, series. Uh, you know, I, I of course love several of them. Next Generation, though, is the one that I actually watched when it was airing. And um, even though, as I say, the first two seasons were bumpy, eventually the series um, does the opposite of growing the. Uh, it does the opposite of jumping the shark. Uh, the trope is literally called growing the beard and it's after Riker growing his beard because it means it means that you've reached the third season when Jonathan Frakes has said look um, or or, or the second season where Frakes has said look you know I'm not having any fun here let me you know I'll I'll have Riker loosen up I'll grow a beard I'll start sitting in chairs in strange ways uh, and I will you know we'll we'll have more fun and it will become more of a family uh, this series than it was and and that that that's that's really when it sort of takes off uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, so next gen is probably the one that I have a closer connection to simply because I saw it as it was coming out uh, and was involved with it. And the cliffhangers uh, reached me uh, because I was, you know, uh, I, you know, I saw Picard turn into a Borg. Uh, I was, yeah. I was fascinated by, I was fascinated by uh, the, the Klingon empire as they developed it. And the episode where they uh, introduced the emperor Kalos, I said, oh my God, this is so fascinating. It would be really cool for them to do something more with this character. And then I got to write a trilogy about it years later oh. uh, and bring Kalos in. Uh, oh. And because it's, it's, it, it is his story as much as it's anybody else's. And so the clone of Kalos. So, so again, that, 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 uh, that's one I feel closest to uh, the TV shows. This also, or rather the movies, uh, this also connects to uh, that prey trilogy. Um, I, I think I 
everybody always loves the even numbered ones, two, four, uh, you know, two, four, six. I, I, I obviously I like them as much as everybody else does. Uh, and and uh, and uh, eight, the uh, um, uh, first contact. But I'm really fond of three. Um, and I know some people have problems with search for Spock. I'm really fond of three. First, because it gives us Krug. And of course, Krug is sort of the prototypical new Klingon that we get. Uh, I, 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 I was delighted that I got to give a set of the books, the prey books, to Christopher Lloyd at a convention a couple of years ago. Wow. Uh, and, de- and delighted because in addition to bringing back the Klingon Emperor uh, Kalis, I also bring back Krug in a very, very Star Trek-y way. Uh, so uh, that is that is that that was that was a fun thing to do. But you know, one of the things I like about three is that it's almost more Star Warsy uh, in the sense that whereas uh, a lot of Star Trek is about the Federation, it's about the the, the it's about the Starfleet, it's about the ships. Um, you know, this was the movie where they said, you know what, the heck with it. It's just going to be the six of us. We're going to steal the Enterprise and yeah. we're going to save our friend. And there's that moment at the end of it where you're going, well, you know, they could just keep keep going. They could be outlaws. They, they could, <laughs> this could be their thing. This this could become Firefly from here or something else like that. I mean, it's a totally different show, a totally different series. And of course they didn't. They, they went back to what they, they had. And I understand that makes sense. But uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm fond of a I'm fond of a movie that's willing to blow up the Enterprise when it means something, and uh, and that time was the first time and it meant something. Yeah. Uh, you know, among Star Wars films, uh, Empire Strikes Back is almost certainly you know tops with everybody critically, but it also is with me personally. Uh, and again, it's because you know I was nine years old when Star Wars came out. Um, you know, it was a struggle to actually get in to see the movie uh, at the time because we didn't have multiplexes. Uh, I dedicated the Kenobi novel to my sister. Literally, it says there for making sure her kid brother got to see the movie uh, because we we had to go a lot of times to get in. Uh, and uh, and so, uh, but but Empire when Empire comes along, you know, I'm reading the comics, I'm reading the books, the Splinter of the Mind's Eye had come out. I'm buying the action figures, I'm buying the trading cards. I'm really wallowing in it, and you know, I haven't sort of aged out of it. Uh, and you know, it was kind of it was kind of somber. That that you know, when Return of the Jedi uh, comes out, that that was that I saw that movie literally on the last day of my freshman year of high school, and and you know that was the last time I ever saw my best friend from high school or from from, from middle school uh, because we went to see the movie together that day after the after after school, and uh, and it was sort of like uh, you know that that sort of era of my collecting had ended and my obsession had ended, uh, and of course I've still followed Star Wars, still liked some Star Wars movies since then. Uh, and you like some of them quite a lot. Uh, but uh, it, you know, you'll, you'll, the golden age is 12, as they say. Uh, and that was when I was 12 was when Empire came out. Uh, I, I will say I agree with you with the Star Trek movie. Uh, I agree with you with Star Wars. Um, my top three is Empire first, Star Wars second, and then Rogue One. And each one's just different reasons. Yeah. Um, Star um, loved Search for Spock. It was brilliant, especially I mean Christopher Lloyd himself was a yeah. big part of that. Um, 
TV show wise, I, like you, I, I had the show all through high school and most of my college time. But when Deep Space Nine came out, I really fell in love with Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I, uh, I need to I need to go back and rewatch the whole thing uh, because I yeah, I really like the later seasons of it a lot. Uh, it's just it was one of those things where by the time that comes out, you know, I've I've entered I've entered work life. And so I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm not seeing things exactly as they in the right order anymore and uh and uh it is weird though that we kind of grow up with these things um i was born the night that the star trek episode a piece of the action first aired that's the one where they go to the planet that looks like the untouchables and it really Uh, looks like the untouchables it looks like the untouchables because it's literally on the untouchables set because star trek was owned by desi lu and uh, so was untouchables uh or it was filmed there rather uh it was filmed on the desi lu set so and and so uh but yeah, that that one where they go back and they meet the gangsters. Uh, that was that was airing while while uh, while my mother was in labor. So <laughs> I, sort of show up with it for me. For being me, a, for being a summer baby, I didn't get that. That's why I envy my daughter. The day she was born was uh, during second season of the Clone Wars. Oh wow! And, and it was the episode that should have been a Halloween episode, but they aired it right before Thanksgiving, uh, where they're yeah. on Geonosis with. It's almost like the invasion of the body snatchers. Oh, yeah zombie type thing i'm like really this is your episode but from that she was born that morning that night she's laying on my chest as i'm watching the show so she never had a chance (laughs) well Um, yeah all these all these moments get tied up with uh with uh with the media somehow yeah my for me i'll always have a, a special place for next generation because it's it's the show that me and my dad bonded over we watched it every week together and he he used to take me to to conventions when I was a kid, and uh, so uh, you know, don't get me wrong, I love Star Wars, of course, but Star Trek does have a special a little special spot for me. I think for for our generation, it, it it's different for us as opposed to you know, like my daughter or or John's kids or you know the the generations before us, where you either had Star Trek or you had Star Wars. You you really there really wasn't a time where you had both that were crossing over at the same time like what we that's have. right that's right and uh you know it's w- one of the interesting things and you know my my um you know my daughter and i were talking about this because we we listen to serious radio that has you know a different radio station for the 50s 60s 70s 80s 90s and so we're hopping between them all and and the thing is with all these things streaming on on the radio different formats and also on tv now it's like star trek is always happening now star wars is always happening now yep. and and all these things are being discovered by somebody for the first time now. And uh, again, you know, it's it's not like, again, back in the day where if you stumbled across one of the Planet of the Apes movies, you had a real challenge to watch the other ones. And yeah. you had a real challenge to find the books. It, it just wasn't it wasn't something where you, you, you know, that that was an old story at that point. Well, now it's a story that's always available. You can go immediately to the next chapter. Okay. And, uh, and as I say, some of these stories don't flow as chapters. So, right. so the, 
Yeah, quite, quite, uh, quite, quite rough. So anyway, well, uh, this has been great. I appreciate this, guys, uh, my portion of this. This is uh, I, I uh, am glad I was able to get on here because, as I said, I uh, I had power out here at the house for five days after the uh, uh, it, they now say we actually had a tornado in this uh, in this part of the part of the county. So wow. uh, I didn't I didn't notice it. <laughs> so I was in the basement. So uh, there, there was no wicked witch. <laughs> no, no, no. But uh, there are trees everywhere. So I, I get to. I get to go uh, try and try and salvage a couple of trees in my yard, and because uh, there's there's the the tree service guys are not going to be available for months. Oh, <laughs> where can people find you online? Okay, I am on Twitter at JJM Far Away. Uh, I am on Facebook, uh, Twitter slash or Facebook slash John Jackson Miller, uh, and uh, I am I have a website uh, farawaypress.com where I have a behind the scenes page there on just about every story I've ever done up until about 2016 when I ran out of time to update it. Um, so if you've read Kenobi or Night Errant, there's a page on there for every Night Errant comic book, every Night Errant short story. If you haven't read the Night Errant short stories, there should be links on there to actually find them, or at least you'll know the names to search for. Um, you know, there's even, uh, you know, they did maps for Night Errant on StarWars.com uh, yeah. for that for that region, and those links are on my site on the novel page. Okay. Uh, Ken, Derek, any final thoughts or final qu- quick questions for, for John? Mm, nope. I think I'm all set. Yeah, I think I got. he answered most of what I had, and I just want to say thank you for coming on, John. This was awesome. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm, I'm I'm just delighted to uh, be talking about something other than, you know, how we're going to get our laundry done, which was one of our challenges this last week. <laughs> so thanks a lot, guys. No problem. <laughs> Not on that and, note. Uh, may, may, may the force live long and prosper. Not <laughs> <laughs> on that note. Give the evacuation code signal. All right, cut the chatter. Jet, I can hold it. Pull up! No, I'm all right. information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. I've lost R2! It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together.